Welcome to ACR Moonshot, the Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Podcast, where we embrace a bold change in the way that we plan for and respond to sudden cardiac arrest in the pursuit of saving more lives. And now your host, Joe Powell and Billy Croft. All right, we're back again with the ACR Moonshot Podcast. Joe, how you doing, buddy? I am doing fantastic, Billy. How are you, my friend? Well, I'm doing good. Um, we're on location right now in Louisville. That's how you say it? Louis, Louisville, Louis, Kentucky. Louisville? Louisville? Yeah. Is it? I don't. You got to kind of say it. Louisville. Louisville. I can't say it. Bluegrass State. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We're at Spencer County EMS uh, doing an ACR event down here, and uh, uh, it's it's been a good first day. What do you think? Yeah, it's been fantastic, right? Uh, some some great uh, some great learning going on. Uh, good people. Yeah, it's good. It's been a great day. Yeah, I'm always amazed. Uh, you know, we've been around the country. I mean, you've been to many different countries, uh, you know, teaching ACR and, and all this and how different each department can be. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, I think I think, uh, I think uh, Terry Keogh always says if uh, you've seen one uh, one EMS agency, you've seen one EMS agency. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, quite different. But uh, the, the concepts are always the same. So uh, we got with us today um, one of my favorite people uh, that uh, works with us quite a bit. Uh, his name is Rod, Rod Cheney. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, avoiding crash deployments because uh, he does a great job with uh, this, this part of our presentation, you know, when we go out and do ACR events. So uh, really excited to talk to Rod. Wait, 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 wait one second. Rod, Rod. Rod Cheney's one of your favorite people. That's that's terrible. Well, next to you, Joe. Yeah, all right, all right. Good enough. Good enough. I'm just thankful I made the list, man. <laughs> What's up, buddy? How are you, Rod? I, I am doing great. It is. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and it's always uh, it's always a great opportunity to work with both of you and uh, Joe. For you, uh, you know, several years ago, really just pioneering this this idea that we can change the outcome in a cardiac arrest patient so um, i'm just happy to be here man just continue to learn with you guys and look forward to impacting people's lives awesome well um i guess tell us a little bit about yourself yeah so billy uh, as i said my name is rod cheney so i've uh, been with zoll for about nine years now and uh, i've worked my way through the ranks i started out as a clinical deployment specialist and that opportunity as well allowed me to uh, travel across the world and just work with fire and EMSs on how to properly deploy the autopulse and the X-series and put this whole system of care together and uh, decided to get in the sales world and did that for a couple of years. And then I got promoted to a regional manager. And um, so, um, and prior to that, prior to my days as well, I'm, I'm, as we say it, I'm a recovering paramedic. So I had the opportunity to be in the fire EMS service up in Northwest Ohio, where I currently reside, but did that for 25 years with full-time for 14 years. And um, you know, I uh, was also a director of EMS for Fulton County, um, and you know, we, uh, my medical director came to me late in the uh, career, and he said, he said, Rod, we got to do a better job, get reached out to the public. I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, we got to teach the public how to do bystander CPR. We got to get more participation. He said, I know that's going to be a lot of work on you, but we, we put together a Save a Life Saturday, and 
uh, we had eight locations to where we just taught them just the very basics of chest compressions only and Heimlich maneuver and the, how to operate the AED. And um, I walked away from that event and I said, man, there's such a bigger opportunity to reach out than just Fulton County, Ohio, and um, even in the state of Ohio. And this job has now led me to, you know, really reach out to parts of all over the world and, and just talk about the cardiac resuscitation and, and being better at what we do. So, uh, so Rod, so tell me, um, so, so a couple quick questions for you. Um, you know, first off, uh, why Zoll? Why did you, uh, why did you choose to, uh, to go to work for uh, a private company and why did you choose Zoll? Um, as a director of EMS, um, I looked at our numbers and our numbers were uh, very, very low, even in terms of getting ROS back on cardiac arrest patients and our survival was just very low. Um, had a couple um, calls while I was on shift as a paramedic and it just I really took those to heart that, um, you know, when we, we get that subjective feeling when we go back to the station, right, that we just like that didn't go very well. And these were young moms and dads. And I said, uh, there's got to be a better way. And so I went to the uh, FDIC show in Indianapolis for a, as a director of the county for one purpose, and that was to find a mechanical device that I could put in my system. So at minimum, I could walk away and say, you know what, we, we gave that person a chance. And so my research and it led me to purchase the autopulse from Zoll and um, the rep that I was working with at the time, Brandy, um, just built a phenomenal relationship in her customer service that she offered. And um, we bought the autopulses and put them in our system. We eventually went to the uh, Zoll monitors and um, I just, the customer service that they offered and the clinical evidence of the autopulse for me and my research just led me to uh, kind of following my passion and my mission. And that was to helping, you know, impact people's lives in the treatment of cardiac arrest. And so um, I just fell in love with the, the company and the customer service and the products they offered. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. You know, I think, uh, you know, like, I, I think as you kind of relate that, that, um, you know, you, you lost some patients and, and we, you know, especially being, you know, tough, tough guys in the, in the fire service or in EMS, we, we try to do our very best to, to, um, push down those emotions and, and not actually acknowledge that that hurts, right? It actually hurts deep inside. And <clears throat> it's, it's, uh, interesting to hear you you'd say, Hey man, they, you know, that this, you know, this affected me. And, and so I had to do something. And so I went out and did something about it. Interesting. Yeah. And you know, you know what I've learned over the last, you know, six years of working alongside you guys and kind of following you around and, and, and really, um, engaging in this this whole idea that we can change outcomes and then following the data that follows that i'm just like man if i would have just been able to offer some of this some of the tools that you guys were utilizing in your toolkit back when i was a paramedic maybe i could have made a difference in some of those people's lives right but um you know today the position i'm in it offers me to offer just a little sliver of patient care. I don't get to ride the truck anymore. I choose not to do that. I choose to work on, you know, for Zoll, but um, I have the opportunity to go out and maybe impact the providers that I get the opportunity to get in front of to, to maybe change their their outlook and change the culture that they currently work in and just, um, you know, continue to spread the message of the toolkit and the good things that just being better at what we do every day. <clears throat> yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so let's go, let's go back in time uh, to when you were riding a truck and you first got that 
AutoPulse, you did your research and you said, hey, this this is the mechanical CPR device. Tell us the experience you had with the AutoPulse and how'd you train and, and what, what did that all look like and all that good stuff. So, the you know, that was probably... I'm going to say maybe 12, 13 years ago, you know, when we bought these devices. And um, at the time, we, I say we now, but at the time, Zoll really, they purchased this company, right? And they said, that well, we now have another piece of equipment that we can offer into our resuscitation portfolio. But we really didn't know how to train on it. And so my first initial experience was, um, you know, I, I, I didn't know how to deploy it properly. And so because the Autopulse is a smart technology device and it really, and, and the Autopulse is, what I appreciate about the device today is it says, you know, if, if you deploy me properly, I'll run all day for you and I'll manage the circumstances for you. But if you don't, then I got your back. I'll stop for you. And so unfortunately for me early on in my career, when I purchased this and put it in our system, I didn't deploy it properly. So the device stopped as it was supposed to. And I didn't want to know why. And so, you know, once we brought Zola in and said, hey, we need some further training, some deeper training on this, um, it changed our world in terms of how we were able to manage the circumstances that, you know, we in Ohio and much like you, Joe, in California and, and Billy, you in Illinois, we're all faced with those same circumstances. It's just in a different state. And so that's what I loved about the device is that it, it was helping me to manage those circumstances, but most importantly, continue to move blood for the patient. So, so, so Rod, I, I, so, so tell me, I, you know, we use the autopulse, you know, also, but I mean, don't, don't, wouldn't you rather just do real CPR? I mean, wouldn't you rather put your hands in the middle of the chest, just push hard and push fast and, and just do real CPR? Isn't that better than using a machine to do it? Well, uh, no, Joe, it's not honestly, because you know, it's, um, we all know that manual CPR is a very tiring motor skill, right? And there's a lot of distractions there. And I think um, over the course of time, you know, through all the trainings that we've been through, through our AHA recertifications and ACLS, you know, we focused on high quality CPR, but I don't know that we truly realize that the, the minimal amount of blood that we're able to move for a cardiac arrest patient, which today is, as we know, is, and as you guys have discovered in your, um, over the past six years, that, that there's, there's no important, more important medicine than blood flow. And, you know, when I talk about these circumstances, you know, we talk about uh, responding to a cardiac arrest down the second story at 530 in the morning. You know, if you move a patient, how do you, how do you move blood taking on a patient and going down the stairs? Well, we can't. That's a circumstance that as good as everybody is in the pre-hospital environment is, they can't manage that circumstance. We can't manage that circumstance, taking that patient out of the home, just doing that one-handed CPR. But these devices said, no, I, I can do that for you. I don't care what that circumstance is. I'll manage it for you. And when we start to put that whole system of care together with the proper airway management, the pulse checks, rhythm checks, and then we walk away and you're like, man, and our fraction times, right, is, you know, the, the fraction times, I would hate to look at what my fraction times were back then. But today, with these devices, we're like, man, we can achieve 90% or better in fraction time. That continuation of the most important medicine. Yeah. Um, you know, mechanical CPR definitely is is the ticket for sure. And when we're talking about, you know, moving blood, you know, it's a closed loop system, like Joe says, moving blood to places that need to go and getting that blood out, out of the, you know, particularly the brain. So, yeah, um, 
huge advancements there. So, but you know, we're, we're talking about all these wonderful tools that we have now. All right. And I remember, you know, coming up, I've been, you know, in the fire service for almost 30 years now. Um, you know, all these things come along. All right. And we train on them for like 15 minutes and that's it. Good luck. Right. I mean, was that kind of your experience with, with this or, you know, I know you reached out to Zoll and said, Hey, we need more training, but you know, what's your experience, you know, going around the country, around the world, actually, how do you see people, you know, um, looking at this device, the system of ACR and how are they implementing it? Are they just doing it in 30 minutes and then saying, that's it. That's all the training we need for the rest of the year. You know, kind of like we used to do with ACLS or, you know, we only did that every twice, twice a year to get certified in CPR. How was your experience with that? Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the things that, one of the questions I always ask my customers is, you know, how often do you train for cardiac arrest? And I said, I'm not looking for the two, eight, two year uh, annual or the two year renewal for your AHA or ACLS. I said, how often do you create a scenario for a cardiac arrest patient and then sit down and uh, review that? And, you know, almost 100% of the time, departments would respond and say, well, we don't. I'm like, well, how often do you pull a fire apparatus out on the apron and engage the pump to make sure you get water out? And they're like, well, every day. And I said, I get it. I understand the importance of getting water out of a fire apparatus, but how many fires do you have in relationship to how many cardiac arrests? And, and we always know that number, that cardiac arrest number is always higher than that. So, you know, when we, when we go in and we talk about this whole system of care and we talk about the tools and, you know, at the end of the training, the, the, the request, the um, ask is to the lieutenants and the captains and the chiefs in the room is like, I'm going to ask you moving forward to spend and devote maybe 30 minutes a day just to get out and review this stuff, review the choreograph that we've discussed here today, that training, that, that 30 seconds of perfection as we talk about in, in deploying it and getting to the point where, you know, during a cardiac arrest when your department is responding, you know, that, that cardiac arrest patient, that's family, they've got one chance. That's that one chance to survive that cardiac arrest, and that is our efforts when we respond. So really trying to change the culture and say just, you know, my message to my customers was said, don't leave a question mark at the end of each one of those steps in the choreograph. Put an exclamation point on there and say, you know what, yes, I've done it. Don't skip a step. And, you know, these devices today, you know, as we talked about, as Auto Pulse is a smart technology, technology device that says I'll run all day for you. But we're really just kind of dialing it back in and saying, it's not how quickly you put that in. I want you to put it on perfect. I don't want you to skip any steps. And let's see what happens at the end of that cardiac arrest. And hopefully we'll get pulses back. And, you know, best case scenario, we'll get that patient back home to spend one more day. Yeah, I love, I love the fact that you brought up uh, 30 seconds of perfection. And we'll get to that here in a minute. But I, I want to talk to Joe here real quick. And uh, I know he's very passionate about this. But um, I think we have... Um, can I use pandemic or epidemic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know if, uh, if that's uh, too sensitive for people, but you know, we see a lot of crash deployments out in, in the field on the fire side and the EMS side. So 
Uh, Joe, I just want you, I, I want you to talk about this because I know you're pretty passionate about this and, and your insight on this is, is really great. Yeah. You know, I think the, the, the question that, 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 that always comes up and, you know, I've heard it from a lot of folks as, as I've you know, traveled around the world with Zoll is, is how fast can you get the autopulse on? How fast can you get it on, right? Can you get the autopulse on in 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes or, or, or 15 seconds? How fast can you get that device on? And, you know, I've always said that's the wrong question. The right question is how much can you limit the pauses while putting it on, right? And Rod always says, and, and Rod, you can maybe comment on this. Rod always says, is it hyper-focused on blood flow? It's a hyper-focused effort on blood flow. Yeah. You got to minimize the pauses, and so it's not about how fast you can get the device on. It's about how accurately you can get the device on while limiting pauses. It's about blood flow, blood flow and blood flow. And it's not about just, just you know, wasting a minute or a minute and a half putting the device on while there's no blood flow. That makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. Thoughts, Rod? Yeah, if you think about the evolution kind of back in 15, 20 years ago when we started talking about cardiac arrest um, and, and CPR and treating it, right? I mean, everybody knows what was the most important. We had to have an airway, right? And once you had to have an airway, then you got to have the breathing. And then we started thinking about circulation, right? So the evolution as to where we are today is that there's nothing trumps compressions. Blood flow is, is the most important medicine. And so, you know, we have to re, kind of rethink and in stop doing the way we think things we've been doing things that have been wrong for years upon years upon years and have a hyper-focused effort on blood flow, meaning if when we start manual CPR, then, you know, when we place our mechanical the CPR device to get deployed, we have to take the proper steps to make sure the device is ready to go. There's no issues with it. Our patient is positioned properly. The device is positioned properly. And then when we're ready to deploy, to stop manual, to introduce the mechanical CPR uh, device into the arrest, that pause time is minimal, but we were perfect in positioning that patient on that top of that device. Again, to your point, Joe, to, to minimize those pauses. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as we've said in the past, right, nothing trumps compressions, nothing, right? Outside of scene safety, somebody's shooting at you, you can run away, right? But nothing should trump compressions. And I think when you, when you conceptualize that and you talk it over with a class or you're, you're discussing that process and, and it's like, yeah, absolutely, Joe, nothing should trump compressions. But that's not how we provide medicine, right? We, we pause to check a pulse. We pause to check a rhythm. We pause to put a tube in. We pause to move the patient. We pause for any number of things that are not important in the outcome of the patient. Hyper-focus on blood flow. That's, that's the key right there. Yeah, and, you know, um, we, we, we talk a lot about, um, well, I, I talk a lot about, you know, the, the having clear expectations of what we're doing. And I, I think this plays into um, how we avoid those crash deployments. Hey, the expectation is nothing trumps compressions. And we are going to be hyper-focused on that, on blood flow, like, like Rod, you know, you just said. So those clear expectations have to be there. And you have to tell them why we're doing that. You know, um, we, are, we, we want to get the heart back, but we want these these patients neurologically intact. So when, when we don't have those clear expectations and we don't have the proper training and the knowledge and the science behind what we're doing, I, I, 
that lends itself to some bad stuff, some bad mojo. And that's where we get into those crash deployments. And it's, you know, it turns into, pardon my friends, a, a shit show, you know, basically. So, you know, I don't know if you want to comment on that. Rather. Yeah, well, you know, and I, I honestly think, Billy, you know, as is, is I've traveled across uh, working with fire EMSs in, you know, the United States, I had the opportunity to reduce some ride times. And you start talking to these providers out there and you just realize that EMS war systems today, they're just, they're taxed, right? They're busy. And, you know, we, we don't train, we don't have, they, we don't make excuses that we don't have time to train. Um, and some systems don't, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, what, what I've kind of walked away with is that, you know, when that call comes in for an unresponsive, that CPR is in progress, I still think providers get that rush, that rush that says, this is a, this is a true 911 call. This is a serious call. We've got to go. We've got to, we've got to get there. But I feel like in the back of the mind, they're like, they're going to die. It's cardiac arrest. People don't survive that. And we've got we've to change that culture. We've got to change that mindset and respond with a, an, an attitude and an idea that says, no, we're going to do all things perfect in this. And we're going to go out and we're going to execute this toolkit that we've been trained. We're going to use this technology, this equipment, and we're not going to skip any steps. And at the end of the day, we're going to walk away. And the beauty of where we're at today is, you know, we can walk away from that cardiac arrest call and we can sit down and we can review this objective data on how we perform today to say, guys and gals, how did we do today? Was it good, bad, or different? Let's look at it. And if there's, you know, the hope would be that we'd all sit back and say, well done. We didn't get the outcome we were looking for, but well done. That patient had every opportunity to survive that cardiac arrest. And so when we continue to look at that data, that objective data that comes off um, that's available to us today, you know, that lends opportunities to train, that you can look at it and say, well, why do we have this pause here? Well, that's when we put the mechanical device on. So that, to me, tells me we've got to train some more. So let's get the board out and let's just practice some more. Let's practice that choreograph. And so, you know, we're just in a, in a world today that we've got all this data and this technology in front of us, but we've got to train, we've got to use it to our advantage to get better at what we do in the treatment of cardiac arrest. And, and, you know, as the, all these departments in the ACR consortium are seeing that we are having a, this trend line is going up of out of hospital survival. It's reproducible. So we know that if we can just, you know, get out and educate fire EMS departments and what's working today in, in the treatment of cardiac arrest that we can continue to, to move the needle. So, so Rod, when you say uh, objective data, you mean we can all get together after the call and say, "Hey, I think you did a good job. I think you did a good job." Or is there something? What do, what do you? What, what are the teeth there? What's the? What's objective data? So I'll, I'll just go back to you know, um, kind of what really led me to go to the FDIC show, right? So when I went back to the station after those cardiac arrest calls, that subjective data that I had that was inside of my stomach that just says, "Man, that was bad," but I didn't know. Either way, rather I felt, went back and said, I was good today or I was bad today or the whole circumstance that we were faced with was good or bad. At the end of the day, we didn't know the answer. It was just a subjective opinion. But today with the technology, you know, with the, with the X-Series monitor that we use that it's got the CPR stat pads with the accelerometer on there that, that gives you a dashboard that says, man, here is the syringe. I call that dashboard my syringe. It said, here is it. Here's your this is going to tell you how deep you're going, how fast you're going, whether you're releasing the chest wall um, the way you should be, and all that data is in front of you. 
and you put a mechanical device on it and it says, oh, you're using a mechanical device. I'll, I'll measure how long it took you to get that on there, and then I'll provide you the data after that. And then when we finish that call, all of that data is in front of us that we can sit down with our, with our group, with our crews. We can go into the, you know, the conference room. We can upload this call. And we can sit down together, and we can look at it and say, you know what? We're, we're, Chiefs, you're not in the room. Your titles are not in the room. You are present. But this is an opportunity for all of us collectively to sit around the table and say, how do we do today? Is there an opportunity to say, do we need some more training? Where did we fail today? Where are we good today? But all of that data is right in front of us. And so we can start to measure our performance and say, we've got to provide more training or well done. I don't know. I don't know, Rod. That seems like a lot. You know, um, we're just firefighter medics, man. You know, um, you know, here's a question for both of you. Why do you think we don't dive into that deeper? Like you just mentioned, looking at the data, seeing where our training deficiencies are, you know, asking ourselves, looking ourselves in the mirror and saying, okay, what do I need to do better to avoid running, you know, these crash deployments that tend to be being a standard of care? Uh, you, you know, for me, Billy, there's a couple of things that come to mind is that the, the perception of, of out-of-hospital survival for EMS, even for me when I was riding the truck, was that people are not going to survive unless it's the perfect story. And by perfect story, what I mean is that, you know, if a, a bystander is walking down the sidewalk, they collapse into cardiac arrest. Here comes a bystander CPR. AD comes out of the storefront of that building. Here comes the fire department. Take them to the hospital. That's a perfect story. But as we all know, that um, those cardiac arrests, those perfect stories, or the outstanding criteria, as we would kind of classify those, is such a small number in, in every part of the country. And so over the course of time, when as an EMS and a fire department, we respond to these cardiac arrests with no bystander CPR we just walk away and say, well, that was a sad story. They died. And so it's become almost, to me, it's almost become an expectation that that cardiac arrest patient it will die. They're just going to die. And it's, we just can't reverse it. And we're like, no, the, for the last six years, we've seen data in this toolkit utilized. And we're like, no, that's not the case. That is not the case. And, you know, as we st first started learning about this toolkit that Rialto started, you know, several years ago, we all sat back and said, that makes so much sense. And everything they're doing, it just makes so much sense. And so we've just got to really maybe reprogram our minds a little bit, change the culture and change the idea that a cardiac arrest uh, patient will not survive. And, you know, you talked about starting the heart and that hyper-focused effort on, on uh, starting the heart, but you know, we're really starting to dive in now and saying, well, what are we doing pre-hospital and how is that affecting the brain? Because ultimately, you know, we all, I think, in our career sat back and said, when I backed into the emergency room doors and I had pulses back, we all celebrated it. That was a win. But that patient didn't come home. So today we looked at that and say that wasn't a win. Today our ultimate goal is that said we want that patient to come back home to spend equality life with one more day with their their kids their wife their husband or you know whatever that scenario is so we just got to really refocus in, in our attentions and, and utilize this this toolkit and and understand the science behind it and why it's working yeah i think uh i think we have to you know really look at outcomes right so it's it's not skills based it's not did i perform my skills did i do the right thing it's you know what what 
are the outcomes, right? And how many people are walking out of the hospital neurologically intact? That has to be our new gold standard. How many people are walking out of the hospital neurologically intact? And, and I think until we start looking at that, and, I, you know, when, and Billy said, you know, why do, want, do we not spend more time looking at the data, right? Why do we not look at the data? And, I, and I, to be honest with you, I think it's fear. So we don't ever want to talk about fear. Like we're really tough and really cool and all that stuff, right? And it's not a sexy thing to talk about, but I think we're afraid that we're not performing well enough and that we have some responsibility in that patient not making it. And we don't want to look at it. We don't want to look at it, but we have to. If we're going to do this job, if we're going to take the responsibility and the privilege, and it's a privilege to do this job, I think you have to look at the data and you have to take responsibility. And we have a motto in ACR, right? And that motto is better tomorrow, right? Let's be better tomorrow. And, and I think that helps us say, look, we're not going to be perfect today. We're going to do our very best, but we're going to be better tomorrow. And then we're going to be better the next day. And we're going to be better the next day. And that's what we see out of our ACR agencies is better numbers, better numbers. And every, every day, every month, every year, we're getting better. Yeah, you know, I would I would agree with the word fear, Joe, because, you know, as, as you said that, I sit there and think about, you know, well, if I looked at that report 15 years ago, you know, that subjective report, if you will, that I had in my stomach when I was responding, or, or not responding, but returning back to the station, that subjective report in my stomach that said, man, that was just, that didn't go well, that was that fear, right? right I, so right. I, I kind of look at it now, I'm like, well, I'm thankful I didn't look at that, have that objective data to look at, right? Because it would have looked horrible. So I think we, we, we do a little self-reporting internally, right? But now we have the right, ability right. To, to look at this. And, and, and one of the things that I loved about your system, right, is that you guys all sat down and said, look, I'm not, we're not here to get anybody in trouble. But it's a privilege to serve the community. We, we, signed, we all signed up for this job for, for one reason. That was to impact people's lives. We all did that. And, you know, what I've seen over the last several years is that, you know, there, regardless of how long you've been in the service, I still believe that every EMS and firefighter has a piece of their heart and mind that says, I'm still here for the right reasons. And that's to help people. That's to impact people's lives. And so we just kind of got to redirect and refocus and, and give them and motivate them and inspire them to say, no, look at the data here. Look at what's working today. And, you know, I, I've always said I hate this statement with a passion, but, you know, we always say, well, what if it's 20 years? But I always looked at it and said it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter if it's, if it's someone standing on a corner that says, man, I need help. That's a human life. It's a human life that says, man, they deserve the same chance as what you and I do and our spouses. Um, so it's just, you know, these are, these are opportunities for us to, to really put a system in place that is, says, you know, we can walk away from it and we can give a person a legitimate chance to survive it. Survive it. Yeah, I love your passion. Um, I, I, I love uh, when, you're, when you're at these events and you get to speak because it just oozes out of you and that, that inspires me. I know it inspires Joe and, and everybody listening. And I love the fact that you have, you've came up with this 30 seconds of perfection. I mean, really tangible things to avoid a crash deployment uh, out in the field. Can you just talk about the why, why you came up with that and you know, the aspects of that that 30 seconds of perfection, because I think this is important. Um, you know, really, I think this originated, Billy, just in the simple fact that um, because I'm, I'm passionate about the autopulse, because I've seen how it performs, and, um, you know, 
the blood flow that this device will offer to a cardiac arrest patient, but it's it's a device that says, you know, there's safety components built inside this device, right? And I think if, if a customer doesn't truly understand what those components are, then we kind of get through that rush deployment and they just expect to flip the switch and the device is going to run all day. And, and the device responds exactly how it's supposed to respond, you know, if we don't deploy it properly. So it stops. And so we really sat back and said, well, we've got to put a system in place to number one, we got to educate all of our users of the autopulse on how to properly deploy it. They need to understand how it operates. And then we've got to give them the tools and the build this choreograph that says, we want to minimize the pause time. You know, as Joe mentioned a little bit earlier, we've got to find ways to minimize the pauses in our treatment of our cardiac arrest patient with the goal of being having a fraction time of 95% or better. And so one of the ways that we did that is said that, you know, we're going to start our cardiac arrest with high-quality CPR, manual CPR. We're going to give you the tools to, to give you a dashboard or syringe, as I call it, um, to give you the right depth, the right rate, and all that information is right in front of you. But then once you get ready to deploy the, the mechanical device, there's a few things that we want you to check just to make sure this device is ready to go in an effort to minimize that pause time, that interruption in blood flow, if you will, while we stop manual and we put a mechanical device on it. So, you know, in, in regards to the autopulse, we just say turn it on, number one. Is there any reason as to why that board will not compress once you turn it on? Because, again, there's, there's, there's indications there. If there's errors on there, you can see them. But, you know, the last thing you want to do is set the patient up, stop manual CPR, and put the patient on the board and then turn it on and find out there's an issue with it. So do that while manual CPR is in progress. And then we position the life bands in a, in a way that is just um, very simple and, and easy to put the bands on top of the patient's chest. And we, you know, we, we, we put the quick carry case in a position so we know it's just easy to deploy. And it's just, it's four quick, simple steps that says it takes you about five seconds to prepare. But the other reason why we do that is because our long-term goal is that we're hyper-focused. And so if we do all these things to prepare the device to be ready to go, we know that we can quickly, efficiently get the patient on top of the board, start the device up, and it's going to run. So, Rod, you're trying to give uh, the – it's got a load sensor, right? If I use the wrong terms, you can mention yep, no. It's got a load sensor, right? And you're trying to give that load sensor the opportunity to measure the patient and then, then do near-perfect compressions and not stop. Is that right? So, yeah. So, exactly. So, there, there's two load cells on that device. And, um, you know, those load cells says that when we put the band together and we hit the green button to start it, those load cells says, hang on a minute, I'm going to customize this based on the circumference of that patient. So every patient that we put inside our, inside of our device gets the same medicine, regardless if you have a larger circumference or if you have a smaller circumference, we all get the same medicine from it. But the brains of that device is those load cells. And so, you know, again, when you deploy that, you have to take care of those load cells during that deployment. They have, that patient has to be centered. And so we give you tools to make that very simple to, um, position that patient centered on those load cells, right? All in an effort to minimize our pause time, hopefully to get it down about six, seven, eight, nine, ten seconds ish. But again, hyper focused on, on blood flow there, and you know. And then we talk about well, we've got to secure that patient down because for me, working with the autopulse for the last twelve years of my life, that what I've realized is that autopulse says, I don't care what circumstance you're faced with, providers. I don't care. I'll manage it for you. I'll take me down the stairs. I don't care. Oh, there's only two of you today? Put me in a stair chair. I don't care. But you have to take care of it. And you have to 
secure that patient down. So when we go through and use the shoulder harnesses um, to secure our patient down, you know, that's what our tool that we use to keep that patient secured to allow us to manage those circumstances on there. And again, at the end of the day, the device says, man, if you take care of me, I'll take care of you and I'll run all day for you. And if you start skipping some steps, man, I got your back. And that's the last thing we really want, right, is to say, I don't want you to have my back. I'll, I'll be perfect in what I do. That is just wonderful. I think, um, you know, our audience is going to appreciate, um, you know, that 30 seconds of perfection, those clear expectations that, hey, this is what we need to do in order for this to, to be deployed correctly and run, right? Nothing trumps compressions, and we want that to run. When, when we get them on there. So, Rod, thank you so much. Thank you for so much for being here and and talking and the, just your passion for, you know, wanting to teach and wanting to ultimately help people and save people's lives. Yeah, you know, it, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Um, I'm thankful for the opportunity for you, Joe. For, you know, I said six years ago when I just kind of uh, I learned about Rialto, and, you know, we all kind of sat back with some skepticism, if you will. And here we are six later. And if we only knew how many people's lives were impacted by this. Um, but this, this keeps me motivated to go out every day and every week and leave my family and, and, and educate and just hopefully inspire departments to say, you know what, we, you got to get on board with this, man, because it's just it's working. So, you know, I'll just say this, that, Billy, you know, I had the opportunity to attend your Survivor Banquet in 2019, and that was such a powerful moment for me to, you know, we go out and we teach this and we teach this, but to sit down at a table where there's a 52-year-old survivor sitting at my table, that was such a powerful evening for me. And so, you know, it just, it gives us every um, incentive and motivation and to go out and say, we got to continue to talk this, talk about this because it, it, it's it's truly impacting people's lives. So it's, thank you to both of you guys for, for championing this. And Yeah, yeah, thank, thank you, Rod. It's uh it's been incredible working with you for the last six years, and uh, let's all let's all be better tomorrow. Yeah, most definitely. And you know, we we encourage you if you if you're interested in learning more about ACR, please reach out. You know, um, don't do a crash deployment. <laughs> please don't do that. Um, it this system works um, when you have clear expectations and priorities in place. Um, you know, do that training and. Uh, you know, you, your, your department, your community that you work for, your county, whatever, is going to be better off for it. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Rod. Uh, thank you, guys. So much. So thank you, guys. Better tomorrow, right, Joe? That's right. Better tomorrow. Thank you, everybody. All right, we'll see you. This podcast and its postings are for general informational purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medicine, medical direction, medical oversight, or medical advice. No doctor-patient or doctor-healthcare provider relationship is formed. This podcast and advanced cardiac resuscitation are not a substitute for any local, state, or federal policies, protocols, or treatment guidelines. The views and opinions of the hosts and the guests of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the view or policy of advanced cardiac resuscitation, its officers, members, or member agencies. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by advanced cardiac resuscitation. Thank you for listening to 
ACR Moonshot, the Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Podcast.